may be seated. Today we're continuing our uh, study of the book of Ephesians as we begin uh, chapter 6. Maybe like our family, that over the years you have had a number of family portraits uh, taken at various stages in the life of your family. I remember one portrait when our children were very small, and I suspect some of you have a similar looking photo, but we went down to the Historic Restoration Society downtown. There was one photographer in town who was pretty popular, and it was in the fall of the year, so he had the quilt laid out and the pumpkins and the hay bales and the wagon wheels and all of this fallish type of a set. And so our little family was placed strategically on this set, and the photograph was taken. We still have that photograph. And I just think back about how that photograph depicted our family at that particular time. Do you have a family portrait that would be similar to that? God has a portrait of the family. And we find this portrait in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. Now, the context of our text today is the context of marriage that we addressed the last two Sundays. In verse 21 of Ephesians chapter 5, God says, mutually submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And then he goes about demonstrating how mutual submission works out in the life of husband and wife. And now, the backdrop to this text about the family is how mutual submission works out in the life of the family. And so God's portrait of the family pictures, are you ready? Children, some of them have already left. We should go get them, bring them back, because they need to hear this. God's portrait of the family pictures obedient children. Do you hear amen? All right. And then secondly, God's portrait of the family pictures what I have termed disciple-making parents. Parents who invest and engage their children that they might pursue Christ. And so that's our topic today. I'd like for us to pray, and then I will uh, read uh, this passage of Scripture for us, and then we'll, we will take off on our journey into the family as we look at this portrait. Let us pray together. God, our Father, this message today, this text of Scripture really impacts all of us in some way. As we have all been children, uh, many of us have been parents, we have parents, we have adult children, we have parents who are now with, with the Lord. So there's much to say about the family, there's much to say from this text. But God, I pray that you would teach us what you would have us at this time to know. Ask your blessing upon our time together in Christ's name. Amen. Beginning with verse 1, Ephesians chapter 6. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up. In the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So God's portrait of the family first pictures obedient uh, children. Children are to submit 
to their parents' authority. We see this in verses 1 through 3, and we find three reasons given for the child's submission to the parents' authority. And the first one is this, for it is right. It is right that an employee is under the employer's authority. It is right that a student is under the teacher's authority. It is right, although we know so many situations where this is debated and rejected, but it is right according to natural law. It is right that wives are to be under their husband's authority. And it is right that children are to be under their parents' authority. And it's right because we believe that God has created the family and has embedded this as a natural law, so to speak. It is right because God has commanded it. It is right because it is part of his natural law, the way things are. It's part of the way God created so that he might providentially care for his creation, these natural laws, and this is just one among them. Both God's moral law, that which he has commanded, and God's natural law, that which is part of, the, of his creation that is embedded in, into creation itself, are both, as we understand them, written on the hearts and in the consciences of every human being that has ever Live. So in Romans chapter 2, when Paul is making the case with regards to the Gentiles' need of saving faith, Paul, Paul writes this, that, that they, though they did not have the written law, the actual Ten Commandments, the codified law of God, yet, Paul says, they often did what was right according to the moral law. And why might that be the case? In verse 15 of Romans 2, They, Gentiles, show that the work of the law is written on their hearts. So it is self-evident, it is intuitive that a child is under the authority of the parent. It's just the way things are. Well, one of my favorite movie scenes, amongst all the movie scenes that I have seen, is in the is in the movie, A River Runs Through It, which I struggle with because it's a great movie, and you all know I like fly fishing, but it's a sad movie at the same time. And of course, it features there this this Scottish Presbyterian minister and his family. He has two sons, and they live in Montana, and they go out fly fishing. This, This pastor on Sunday afternoon you know, walks by the trout waters, you know, reading his Greek New Testament. Man, that's the life. Refreshing himself. (laughs) And yet this one scene is one morning where the Scottish Presbyterian father minister guy is on one end and the mother is on the other end of the table and the two sons are on either side. And the one son, the younger son, is just sitting there and everybody else eating and he refuses to eat and they're having oats what could be wrong with oats and the little boy just sits there 
And the father just sits there and finally says, Son, since the beginning of time, people have been eating oats. What gives you the right to refuse what God has given? In other words, what gives you the right, son, to mess with the natural order of things according to God's sovereign purposes? Now, I eat oats every morning, practically, so I like this natural order of things, and you not, but you get the picture. The child was in rebellion. <laughs> he was in rebellion against what is right, not only according to the moral law of God, but according to the very way God has ordered natural law, the way that things are. He was challenging God by challenging the parents. And children today, I would just simply ask, what might be the refusal to eat oats in your life? To see it that if you are in disobedience to your parents, you are bucking up against the natural order of things that God has built into creation, it's right that children be in submission to their parents. And to see your disobedience as actually challenging the natural order of things that God has created. Second, children are to obey because it is written. Look at verses 2 and 3. Uh, do you by okay so may, maybe you maybe you you just simply don't really think that original sin is true all right I want to prove it to you you may not know this but there are the ten laws of the toddler the ten laws of the toddler and I believe this is evidence that original sin is true. Are you ready? First, first law, if I like it, it's mine. Second law, if it's in my hand, it is mine. Third law, if I take it from you, it is mine. Fourth law, if I had it a little while ago, it is mine. Fifth law, if it is mine, it must never again not be mine. Verse, uh, verse 6, <laughs> law 6, <laughs> it's a book of second opinion, by the way. Um, <laughs> if I'm doing or building something, all the pieces are mine. Verse 7, if it looks just like mine, it's mine. Verse 8, <laughs> number 8, I saw it first, it's mine. 9, if you're playing with something and you put it down, it's automatically mine. In verse 10, you ready? If it's broken, it's yours. <laughs> this may be the 10 laws of adults too. <laughs> Maybe the 10 laws of parents. But you know, God has not only written his moral law and his natural law upon the hearts of every single human 
being, but he's also revealed his moral law to us. I mean, he's codified it in writing so that we, we can read. This, this is the law of God. And the fifth commandment is quoted in, in verses 2 and 3. We find the fifth commandment in, in Exodus 20 and also in Deuteronomy chapter 5, where God commands children to honor their father and mother. And, and to honor means more than simply obeying. It certainly does mean that, first and foremost. But, but maybe in some even greater sense, to honor your father and mother really points to the heart, doesn't it? The heart attitude of loving, of respecting, of, of reverencing our, our parents Children must not only outwardly obey, but they must inwardly respect and honor their parents' authority. And ultimately, honoring your parent, ultimately, obeying your parent is a heart issue. And I think that's what the Apostle Paul is bringing to us today. And to disobey or to dishonor your parent, to violate the fifth commandment, is more importantly dishonoring and not reverencing the lawgiver, God. And so, children, there's a lot of consequences <laughs> to disobeying your, your parent. Now, the command is noted here in verse 2 as the, the first command with a promise. It really is the first command with a promise in the second half of the Ten, ten Commandments as it relates to social situations. The, the, the second commandment has a promise relating to our, our duty before God. And that's what Paul means here in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 2. That this is the foremost commandment with a promise dealing with these the social relationships, especially between parents and child. And verse 3 speaks of the physical and practical benefit for obedience. The, 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 the promise is not, hey, if I obey, then I will get what I want, but rather God's law brings blessing, and it brings lifelong blessing when we obey it. So, for example, do not covet and so you obey God's law, and you don't steal that thing that you like your neighbor has, and so you avoid going to prison. I, I would say that's a benefit. Obeying God's law brings blessing. The ten laws of the toddler bring trouble, <laughs> broken relationships. But the ten, law, the ten moral laws of God bring blessing. Years ago, my youngest daughter, Megan, she's probably two or three, she disobeyed me, and so I sent her to time out. Time out in our home when the kids were little was the bottom step of the stairs going to our upper level. And if you come over and disobey, I'll send you there too. And so Megan disobeyed me, but she obeyed me outwardly because she took her little body and set her little self right on that bottom step and just sat there. And I was keeping my eye on her. And I noticed, I thought, my goodness, Megan's lips must be dry because she keeps licking her lips. And I've told this story before, maybe you remember. So, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not the sharpest knife in the drawer, but I'm not the dullest one either. I picked up on what she was doing. I said, oh, my goodness. 
that little rascal is sticking her tongue out at me. And so I walked right up to her and I got down, looked at her right at eye level, and I said, I said, Megan, are you sticking your tongue out at me? And she went. <laughs> well, this was an occasion to be stern, but I was dying. It was so funny. I wanted to laugh, but I couldn't because, and really I shouldn't because, I mean, it really was funny, but it was really serious because what it pointed out was that outwardly she was obeying, inwardly she was as rebellious as she possibly could be. And the inward attitude is more important than the outward attitude. And that's why it was serious what my little three-year-old three was doing, even though I really didn't want to laugh. Listen to what Jesus says. As he's rebuking the Pharisees for their focus on the outward while ignoring the inward heart issue. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, where you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. Children, if you are struggling with your parents' authority, it could very well be, and I think it probably is, that your greatest problem is not what your parents are calling you to do that you don't want to do or not to do that you want to do, but it's your heart. And it's an opportunity for you to go to the Lord and say, show me my heart that I might repent of it so that I might have that inward attitude of respect and honor my mother and father, both outwardly and inwardly. Well, the third way that a, or third reason a child is to obey is because they are to obey because it's obedience in the Lord, verse 1, or as Paul, as we read throughout the rest of Ephesians in, in Christ. The child's obedience is, is in Christ in that for the child who really is, has their heart changed, their, their obedience is to flow from a heart that loves and honors Christ, a heart that is filled with the love of Christ, a, a, a heart that, that embraces God's uh, truth. And, and we see this in the proverb that Jeff read earlier, Proverbs 4, verses 20 through 23. My son, be attentive to my words, incline your ear to my sayings, let them not escape from your sight, keep them within your heart, for they are life to those who find them, and healing to all their flesh. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. And I think we could say that the Father here, we could just simply think of, of God speaking to us with His Word being in our heart. True obedience is in Christ, and therefore it's a product of our saving relationship with Christ. A child's disobedience really is a window into their relationship with Christ. Is it wholesome? Is it healthy? Or are they rebelling against Christ inwardly? This is why I say it's true with adults and it's true with children. Our struggles, our sin, our issues all come to the heart. What's going on in the heart? That's where God works. That's where we need to focus. The portrait that God has painted the family is obedient children. 
Also, the portrait that God has painted for the family are parents who see their role as making disciples of, of their children. It's, 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 it's a role where, where the, the parent knows that the issues of life come down to the heart, and so my role as making a disciple is to focus on the heart of my child as I go about this high privilege of being being a parent. So in verse 4, we find the Apostle Paul doing two things, setting a boundary for the parents' exercise of their authority, and then showing us how we are to go about the task of making disciples. So (laughs) this illustration is, is taking us back a number of years when fathers were not allowed into the delivery room when little junior or juniorette was, was being born. And so mom would be back there going through all the delivery uh, process, labor, and then dad would be out in the waiting room pacing. And so there was this one waiting, waiting room just full of expectant fathers. A nurse comes out and goes up to one of the fathers and says, Congratulations, congratulations, Father, you, you have triplets. And he went, Triplets? Wow! That is such a coincidence. I play for the Minnesota Twins. And then a little while later, there, there was a, a, a second nurse that came out. She went up to another father and she said, Father, congratulations, you have triplets. And the man said, This is amazing. I work for the 3M Corporation. And then, before another nurse could come out, there was another expectant father that was sitting in a chair, and he he just turned white, and he slid out of the chair, I mean, limp as a noodle, into the floor, and, you know, they they called the the nurses, and the other fathers ran around him, thinking that he had some significant medical issues, and, and they said, what... Are you, what's happening? And he said, he said, I work for the 7-Up company. (laughs) Well, a parent's work, (laughs) a parent feeling overwhelmed begins at birth, but it only becomes more, right? And let me tell you something. It doesn't stop when the kids go off to college. It doesn't stop when they leave homes. All of this continues even with adult children that now have a life of their own. It's hard work from infant to adult children. And until we go to the Lord ourselves, it can be frustrating work. It's often scary work, but it's one of the most important and noble tasks that God gives to his creatures to be his instrument in raising children to be his disciple makers in the home and parents I don't want you to ever lose sight of that it begins there in the delivery room and in a very real sense it never ends even when you have adult children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren. Hopefully, uh, I work at Covenant, and I don't work for the 7-Up company. How might 
parents misuse their authority. You see, Paul, Paul begins with a boundary that is set for parents. Verse 4, fathers, and we'll include mothers, do not provoke your children to anger. This simply means do not misuse your authority. Do not do something that, that would foster ang- anger in your children. It doesn't mean uh, do something, you know, don't do something that they might not like. It doesn't mean that. It means to misuse authority and thereby promote anger in them. Here's, here's Dr. Hendrickson's list of how parents can misuse their authority. I'll just read it. Overprotection, showing favoritism, being discouraging, a failure to allow the child to be a child. He's, that child is on a learning curve. Neglect, bitter words, even physical cruelty. Dr. Stott wrote this about this subject. What we do know is that parents can easily misuse their authority either by making irritating and unreasonable demands which make no allowance for the inexperience and immaturity of children or by harshness and cruelty at one extreme or by favoritism and overindulgence on another or by humiliating or suppressing them or by those two vindictive weapons, sarcasm and ridicule. Dr. Don Dorian, Dorian, in his book on manhood, speaks about three dysfunctional ways uh, to parent. There's the dominant parenting style, justice without love. There's the neglectful parenting style, lack of love and lack of justice. There is the indulgent parenting style, love without justice. I mean, listen, there are many ways that parents may provoke their children to anger. And this is an occasion for parents to turn to their own hearts and ask, what's going on in my heart, Lord? Am I parenting out of the overflow of Christ's love for me? And so that's the boundary. But now the second section here in verse 4 is that we're given two ways that parents should be about making disciples of their children. And we see this in bringing them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. Let's first look at discipline. In, in 1978, Thomas Hansen of Boulder, Colorado, brought a lawsuit against his parents. It's a three, $350,000 lawsuit. And the lawsuit was for parenting malpractice. And, and he said, mom and dad had botched up my life. And the result of that is I, I had to spend all this money on psychotherapy because they did such a horrible job of parenting. And, and here's, the, here's this one example that's actually in the court documents of how, what a horrible botched up job these parents did. The father caught the boy smoking marijuana and he disciplined him and the mother went along with it. And this guy says, my parents have destroyed my life because they actually did biblical discipline with me. (laughs) Well, I'm not suggesting that any of you kids sue your parents. But parents like the Hansons are called to discipline their children, even knowing our children are not going to like it. And... They're to do so without misusing their authority, but they are to do so, bringing both love and justice. 
Proverbs 13, 24, whoever spares the rod hates his son, but, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. Hebrews 12, 5 through 8, have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him, for the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he loves. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Discipline is for training children to examine their hearts, to break their sinful wills, to hate sin, to turn to Jesus. Children, you need godly parents who discipline. And parents never give up. Nourishing your children by godly discipline. Doriani speaks about the fourth parenting style being God, a godly parenting style that loves and brings about justice. Love and justice, that's the biblical way. Discipline, love and justice. And then the, the second part of this verse is instruction. God, God's picture of the family is that parents are engaged and instructing their, their children. I mean, first, first and foremost, this means teaching them the Word of God, uh, teaching them the catechism, making sure they're in church, being a part of Sunday school, all of those things where we're speaking into them the very Word of God. But, but instruction also includes modeling the Christian life. As you go about life, that, that you are showing forth the reality of God's Word in your own life. And it leads to godly living. Instruction is seeking to build and instill in your children a biblical world and life view so they're able to see things as they are and to be able to apply the Word of God to the real issues of life. This is biblical wisdom, and that's part of our job as parents. It's formal education. It's informal education. Family joke in our home. When the kids were little and they would listen to music or they would... Uh, watch a movie now they talk about man we knew it was coming mom would just just pepper us with questions trying to get us to think about what we had just heard or what we had just seen from God's perspective and you know that's the way we need to be with with our children keep speaking true to them keep modeling God's truth to them listen to Deuteronomy 6 hear O Lord the Lord our God the Lord is one you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart with all your soul with all your might isn't that what we want to instill in our kids, to love the Lord their God? And then Moses goes on, And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and you shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bring them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be, a fr be as frontlets between your eyes, you shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. Children, and all of us are bombarded with very troubling signals and messages and perversions today. And parents, we need to stand as those who are at the watchtower and stand not only watching out for these harmful things, but actually speaking truth in light of them to our children 
and to one another. Parents never give up exercising godly discipline. Parents never give up exercising godly instructions to your children. Well, I want to end with, with just a word uh, to parents here, even though we've been talking to both children and uh, parents. But, you know, parents, don't, don't we have a picture of our family in our own mind? This is how we want our family to be. We want our, you know, our kids to be successful. You know, we, we have all kinds of expectations for them, education-wise, marriage-wise, uh, spiritual-wise, church-wise, following Christ, walking the Lord. All these things are, are good, but, but oftentimes we, we really have this picture of our family in our own minds, our hopes and, and dreams for our family. And oftentimes, in reality, our picture doesn't come about. And let me tell you something. That's where the rubber hits the road with parenting. When our expectations and our hopes and our desires for our family don't come about because our children mess them up. Let's be honest about it. And yet the truth of the matter is the picture of the family that we have is a function of our own heart issues. And here's the, the encouragement that I would have for us parents here today. Doesn't matter how old our children are, infants to well into adulthood. We need to just simply set aside the picture that represents our hopes and dreams about how our family is to be. Just put it aside. And just simply focus on God's portrait of the family and primarily what he's called us to do as parents. And what he's called us to do as parents is to engage our children at every stage, at every age. Now, godly discipline to an adult child, yeah, that's, <laughs> that's a whole different ball game, right? But yet, yeah, we can keep speaking truth to our adult children. And here's the thing. It's about continuing to see our role as parents as making disciples of our children, which means that we are always moving towards them. We are always investing in them, especially discipline and instruction in the Lord. Francis Adams is a 16th century politician, a diplomat. He kept a diary, and this is one diary entry. Went fishing with my son, a day wasted. The son, Brooke, also kept a diary. His diary entry on that very same day was this. Went fishing with my father, the most wonderful day of my life. And so the question is, what's the difference between wasting and investing? The difference is this, what is my purpose? And you know, for parents, especially parents who, many of us, I know so many of you, I know how you love your children, you invest in them so many ways. And then there are situations where maybe the child doesn't turn out the way you had hoped. And it's easy to say, parenting wasted. But it's never so if you see your role 
as investing. Investing in the life of your child, even though they become very disobedient, keep moving towards them by investing discipline, instruction. Adult children, they become wayward. Keep moving toward them. Investing, investing that they might yet pursue Christ. Our job is not, God's purpose is not that we would have the family that we want. Our purpose is that we would be disciple-making parents, moving towards our children, investing in them, that they would come to love and pursue Christ. Let's pray. Father, I pray for the parents represented here today. I pray that you would bless, that you would guide, that you would direct, that you would encourage, that you would strengthen, that you would bring us all to the place of seeing that you have a portrait for the family. And part of that portrait is a parent who keeps investing in the lives of their children. And for our children, I would also pray in line with that portrait that you have painted for the family, picturing obedient children, that you would give them all the grace that they need to not only obey outwardly, but more importantly, that they would obey inwardly, that they would honor father and mother. So work in us, we pray for Jesus' sake. Amen.